Is this the face that launched a thousand ships? Yeah, yeah, it's Joe, all right. Well, it'll be a couple hours before I hit Hollywood. Can you wait? Oh, I know what you mean, baby. But you just try. Well, let's, let's decide that later. After eight months at sea, all I want to do is just look at you for a long, long time. Ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Ticklish Business, the podcast devoted to honoring and deconstructing classic cinema. This is Kim, and I am joined by our faithful team today, Kristen and Samantha. How are you guys doing today? Surviving. <laughs> one of those weeks. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm just really excited for this discussion, honestly. I think this will be a fun episode. I know. This is one I've been looking forward to us doing for a long, long, long time. I'm going to say so. we don't do video podcasts, obviously. But the content of what we're talking about today, Samantha came prepared because she looks like a Barbie doll princess right now on the Zoom. She is like looking like she is ready to date any of the men and maybe some of the women that are we're going to be talking about. So I'm just I'm just <laughs> so thankful that one of us came prepared with the right attire because that I, is hilarious. Look like we've definitely had a week. Kim looks like she's been working at home all day. So I will say that. <laughs> I don't have that luxury, so I have to look halfway presentable, and that is what you see here. It is post thirteen hour shift. I have my hair and makeup done, but it's hanging on by a thread. Honey, when I went into the office, I was lucky to put makeup on. What's the point of wearing makeup when you have to cover half of your face with a mask anyway, and it takes all your lipstick off? Yeah, I've gone through so much foundation that way. But today we are diving into a very aesthetically pleasing topic. Today we're just going to sit back and have some fun. And we wanted to have a talk about, I'd say, a mediation on the sexiest classic Hollywood performers, sexiest Hollywood actors and actresses. So that leaves us open to a lot of topics and discussions and lots of fun. I would say. But we all know why you guys come here. We have injected thirst into the classic film world. This is all what you really want to hear. So we have delivered. We all have our thirst. And we know all you listeners out there have your thirst too. So today let's sit back and let's just engage in the thirst. This is starting out with kind of a nauseatingly broad question. What goes into a sexy performer? Who are the sexy performers? What do you look for? What is sexy? You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people make assumptions about classic film incorrectly. And one of the ones I always hear is they're not sexy because of the code. The belief is that the introduction of the code prohibited a lot of that. And if you've gone to our website at ticklishbiz.com, there's a very old list that I made several, several years ago looking at some of the scenes that I thought were the sexiest in classic film. And some of those scenes still hold up, especially as we are living in modern times where the sex scene in film, which you would think the joys of having a rating system is that you can do whatever you want. Sex scenes are pretty much null and void at this point. We don't have them. 
So it's a weird time to be talking about sexiness in film because I think a lot of the past films still hold up as sexy. And I think that for me, what I have always looked for, and I think it works to the star system's benefit. We talk a lot about persona, right? Some stars cultivated a very sexy persona in real life. They were not like that. I mean, of course, you know, there's Errol Flynn who was sexy on screen. He was sexy off screen to his detriment in many ways. You know, other actors, I think, were just hot on screen. I mean, we'll talk about him, but I maintain Basil Rathbone. Fine as hell, okay? Uh, I don't know if he was like that off screen. Maybe he was just some dude in a coat and like he was somebody's granddad. I don't know. But I'm assuming that he was. I hate to be vague, but it's that it quality, right? We always talk about they have it. And I don't feel that you find that as much in modern performers today. I don't know why that is. Maybe because there's less mystique because of the internet. But I feel like there's an often indefinable quality to classic film stars that make them attractive. I mean, even certain stars where you're just kind of like, that should not be hot, but it is. And I wonder how that would translate today. Before we get into it, here is a short little ad for our Patreon. If you are a fan of old Hollywood, classic entertainment, and the joy of pop culture history in all its forms, please subscribe to our Patreon page like these wonderful people. Christine Meyer, Danny, David Floyd, Jacob Haller, MCF, and Rachel Kramarchuk. Our Patreon website is located at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Be sure to take a look at our other channels as well. We're on Twitter at ticklish underscore biz, as well as YouTube and Instagram. Keep an eye out for lots of bonus content coming soon. Now, back to the show. The first person that popped into my head when you said shouldn't be hot but is was Jack Lemon. <laughs> I like that. I like that. He had that kind of charm. And I think it's amazing and great that you brought up the studio system because I think that if I had to venture a guess, that might be part of what really differentiates classic film actors from modern day actors is the fact that so much of that persona was perfected by publicists and curated and they chose what the audience saw. We didn't get to see everything. We didn't get to see them go out and buy a smoothie. We didn't get to see them walking their dog. And now we have that. And and you're right, it does take away some of that mystique. That's actually a very good point because that's immediately where my head went. With the studio controlling every aspect of everything, there was and no internet, no you know more finely tuned media. You had very curated, very developed, very put together access to these stars. Meanwhile, today, yeah, you're exactly right. I think I just saw not too long ago a picture of Amanda Seyfried at the grocery store. Stars are just like us. They stumble out. They get, you know, they go to Coffee Bean. They go to the movies. You didn't see that so much. So the mystique was allowed to live on. Definitely, I would say longer than it is today. It makes me think of that quote. They had faces then, right? The concept that... Gloria Swanson. I think it was Gloria Swanson. Thank you. You know, you can look at a classic film picture of somebody and you immediately know who it is. How many times have we joked off audio about all the Chris's? There's a whole, there's never a discussion on Twitter about which Chris is it because they're all the same. They all look the same. I have a running joke about a trio of performers that are all tall blonde guys. And I'm like, I don't know which is which. I just know that 
he's that guy, but he's not that that guy. He's that other that guy. Because we're not really looking for actors anymore, I feel like we're looking for types. So if one actor succeeds, you know, you want to keep looking for that type of performer. You don't really get that distinction in facial features that I think you get in the classic film world, which helps because a Jack Lemmon is not a Dick Van Dyke, is not a Betty Davis, is not a Marilyn Monroe. You have the ability to tell some of these performers apart. And I think that that not only creates sexiness in its own way, but it also creates a lot of the fandom that we see now around certain stars because no two performers are alike. Sure, some acting styles may be the same, but even a Mamie Van Doren was not, uh, Diana Doors was not a Marilyn Monroe. They're all different, even though they might be trying to be the same type of person. I would also like to bring up to that point, honestly, contradicting that point, one of the things that really served to classic film stars' advantage was that they were able to be put in the same type of film over and over, paired with the same actor or actress over and over. And it really gave us a sense of this is who this person is and this is what we love about them. Whereas now you watch a Jennifer Lawrence film and it's completely different from the next. And they don't pair her opposite the same person every single time, like they used to with the Flynn and de Havilland. And so much of what mesmerizes me about them is that I can depend on, I want to watch an Errol Flynn swashbuckler and I want to see him smooch Olivia de Havilland. And that is what makes him sexy to me. You don't get that kind of dependency with any modern stars anymore. Well, that brings up an idea for me. The William Powell's, the Myrtle Loys, the Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland's. Pairing these people together as often as they did, you allowed them to build chemistry. We have William Powell and Myrna Loy brought, I would argue, some of the best chemistry together that we've ever seen on screen. And they were paired, what, nine, ten times, something like that? So much so that fans wanted them to leave their respective spouses and marry each other. Exactly. Where do you see the line between chemistry and sexy? Is that the same thing? Are stars that have chemistry, are they sexy? I think that there's definitely an appeal there. You bring up Myrna Loy and Bill Powell, and I think it's a combination of things. It's their inherent personas and their personality with each other, but it's also the work of the script, too, in the films, because I think what a lot of people love about the Thin Man series is how much Nick and Nora are equals. In the first film, at least, I know as the series goes on and the baby shows up that Myrna takes a real back seat. But those first two films, there's an equality in it to them that she gets his shtick and she knows when he's doing wrong or she knows when he's on to something. There's this inherent respect between the two of them that is intoxicating. With Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland, it's the fact that she often played characters that were very prissy or very dominant, but she was equally as dominant to him in something like Dodge City, where she's working the newspaper and he's trying to corral the town. You can understand that this is a meeting of minds almost, as opposed to just two beautiful people that look good together. Even something like humoresque with Joan Crawford and... John Garfield. I mean, a lot of what makes those John Garfield movies like Humoresque and Postman work so well is the fact that you were pairing up a guy who was method and definitely was a guy who knew how to use his sexuality, 
with some of the sexiest, most bombshelly women of the time period. So it really is a testament to the studio system for all of its flaws aside. The fact that it understood its actors so well that it knew when a pairing would work. Because there are many movies, I feel, where it was just that union of two beautiful people. So, of course, sparks must fly. That does not always work. And it fizzled far less than it succeeded. There's far more success stories than there are non-success stories there. For sure. I really don't find myself, when I'm reviewing a classic film, saying these two had no chemistry. Because I think it's just built up so much and posed to us in such a way that we eat it up every time. The gears have been turning in my head as we've been talking. And one of the best examples of two sexy people in a movie to me is Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And the ultimate. The ultimate, right? I mean, Elizabeth Taylor, in my opinion, the most beautiful woman of all time. And Paul Newman, who we all know is much beloved in terms of sexiness on this podcast. But my question for you guys, is it sexier when they have the chemistry and get along or when they don't get along? (laughs) I tend to go towards the latter. It's tough because it really depends, I think, on an actor's ability to act. And I feel like We got a lot more of those. They didn't have chemistry pairings later in the industry. I think, again, because of the joys of newspapers and interviews, you talk to most film fans and they can tell you, oh, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey hated each other when they made Dirty Dancing or Deborah Winger and Richard Gere despised each other when they made Officer and a Gentleman. I don't often find that as much in classic films, I think because that was deliberately hidden in certain instances. You know, you had actresses that were tough customers, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, when they did not like their co-stars, they made it known. And at the same time, that is to their benefit that they're such good actors that you can buy that they liked each other, even when they didn't. I think of something like The Big Street, which is a film that Samantha and I both discovered this year. Henry Fonda and Lucille Ball did not like each other necessarily because as Lucille Ball tells the story, she had gone on a date with Henry Fonda well before they were successful. And he blew her off and acted like, oh, she wasn't anything special. And she was like, really? Really? So I think it's- I didn't even know that. So I yeah, just want to say that's Yeah, you should Google it. There's a story on one of the blogs that puts it out far better than I'm telling it. But- He, he was too busy hanging out with Jimmy Stewart. Yes. Is what I read. Yeah. That makes sense. But I do think that it is her power as a performer and his as well, that they are able to make that movie work as well as they do. In some instances, it really does work. I think of one of the great examples of two performers that did not like each other, Postman Always Rings Twice. The rumors were that John Garfield and Lana Turner had infamously hooked up as the movie was being planned. And by the time they actually started filming it, They were not dating and they hated each other. And he would constantly give her crap about her acting and and stuff like that. So it's a mark of a good performer that you can kind of put that aside. In certain movies like Gilda, that is what you need. You need that hate and equal emotion. Well, something like Gilda is fascinating. I was just watching a Hollywood Squares clip and you could just hear the fondness that Glenn Ford had for Rita Hayworth. A question came up. The answer was supposed to be Rita Hayworth and the contestant did not know Rita Hayworth. And then Glenn Ford promptly gave this guy a tongue lashing. He was one of the squares. He gave this guy a tongue lashing for not knowing who Rita Hayworth was. 
like Kristen, you just said, there is something to harnessing those performers that maybe don't like each other to craft those truly tempestuous when you want those fiery pairings. I mean, Postman always rings twice. That's, you know, for lack of a better word, that's sex on a stick. Those two are hot. Those two are too hot together and it works and they're both fiery and it comes together and cat on a hot tin roof. I know nothing about Elizabeth Taylor and Paul Newman together, but that's another one where you need a fiery chemistry together and it just shines. Every inch of it shines on screen. I don't think there was an attraction off screen, but I mean, I don't know. You guys are probably aware. Some of the listeners are probably not aware that her husband died in a plane crash while they were filming the movie And basically the way that she sort of picked herself up and got through filming really earned Paul Newman's respect. So he respected her a great deal. The attraction, maybe not. But I think that also works for that film in particular because he's not supposed to be super interested in her sexually. Even though, I mean, she's the sexiest woman ever. Like, let's be real. To continue on talking about Elizabeth Taylor, certain women, sexiness, we know, worked against them right? Elizabeth Taylor, very famously in her multiple marriages, could not find a guy that was her equal in many ways. And her relationship with Richard Burton was incredibly tempestuous. And I think knowing their relationship off screen only makes it interesting to watch the movies that they made together. Something like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? The Burton and Taylor ethos is the fact that they hate each other, but they also love each other. They're throwing things at each other and then they're rolling around taking each other's clothes off. So that works to their advantage. But then at the same time, you also have Rita Hayworth, who famously talked about men go to bed with Gilda and they wake up with me. And that really did destroy a lot of her relationships. So I think with women, especially, this is obviously a whole other can of worms, but the concept of being sexy, as we've seen, really was far more troubling and damaging than it was to men. I mean, you can look at, there's a litany of women. Hollywood is made off of the backs of women who were deemed beautiful and bombshells and sexy. And it didn't end up being great for them in many ways. It didn't earn them respect. Whereas you have the Errol Flynn's where it got him out of possibly serving jail time. So Exactly. I think of Bill Holden. The idea that he did not want to play the smiling gym roles and being a good looking guy. And it was through experimenting with other genres that he was able to be taken seriously. Men were allowed to experiment with different genres and try different things. Women, famously, your Ida Lupino's, your Marilyn Monroe's were suspended and told to shut up and just make what you're supposed to make. Exactly. In Rita Hayworth and so forth, those are the otherworldly, Elizabeth Taylor, the otherworldly sexy actresses. When I think of those otherworldly sexy men, Tyrone Power jumps to mind. Somebody who you don't have the same, at least outward struggle. I I mean, and I wish we would have had him for far longer so we could have seen where he could have taken that. But even Nightmare Alley was considered a bad departure. Risk yeah. How am I not the person to bring up Tyrone Power in this conversation? That's what I want. <laughs> I, I may have been Googling sexy actors right before and he might the be sitting here staring failing. at me. I'm failing. No, well, okay. I will mention though, in my opinion, I don't think he's a very great example because he is literally the number one example in my mind 
of a gorgeous actor who didn't get to play those juicy roles that he wanted to play. He too, like a lot of women, was shut in a box and basically, no, we want you to play these love scenes and these gushy romantic comedies and he wanted to do stuff like nightmare alley and witness for the prosecution he didn't really get to do that until it was too late it was he was starting to go that way but yeah we lost him so so stinkingly young he specifically was quoted as saying i wish that i could get into a car accident and get my face smashed up like eddie constantine so i can play the roles that i want to play I was also going to cite Montgomery Clift as another really good example. I mean, I was going to say Monty Clift was the end result of Sharon Power's mm-hmm. story there. Exactly. I mean, those two are, in my opinion, the objectively most attractive men to ever grace the silver screen. And as far as Monty goes, I think it really spelled out tragedy for him being as beautiful as he was because he fed off of everyone else's perception of his looks, I think. So when he got into that accident and his looks were marred, his self-esteem just plummeted. And he felt like somehow his talent and his ability to do well in pictures plummeted with it, which is a shame because obviously he was a fantastic actor and could have gone just on that alone. I mentioned the article that's on our website about the sexiest classic film moments. And I know that a month goes by that somebody doesn't look at it. And it's in one of our more popular articles that we've written. Are there moments, whether big or small, that you always point to if somebody said classic films aren't sexy? Are there moments that you think of that you say, no, this is it? The first thing that comes to mind for me, and this is straight from Eddie Muller that I discovered this scene, but the scene How where do I know uh, Eddie and sexy would end up coming out of Samantha's mouth on the set. Of course, <laughs> of course. I'm thinking of the scene in Thieves Highway where Valentina Cortese plays tic-tac-toe with her nails across the bare chest of god forgive me what's his name richard conti so i was gonna say don't forget richard conti <laughs> i his face is burned into my brain <laughs> one of my boys for there. a split second his name wasn't but no i mean that scene is so sexy you know what gilda is always number one for me when i think of gilda i mean specifically put the blame on mame but everything about that film from her performance held down to Johnny and Balin. I mean, there's just sex just drips from that movie and it's just proliferates. Gilda is one of those where I think if we're talking sexy moments, it's not a moment. It's a line that she says in the movie. It's very early in the film where she says there's something about Latin men. For one thing, they can dance. For another thing, what's your telephone number? I love that line because you know what she's talking about. You know what she's asking. And it's such a bold, confident moment where you're just shocked into silence, much like Glenn Ford is. That's one of those movies where I'm thinking... Glenn, you ain't built for her, okay? She's going to (laughs) rip you apart. And that's the big issue I have with the movie. Spoiler alert is that it's the other way around. I'm like, no, no, she is way too powerful for you, Glenn. Back up. That's why I had to mention Balin there because even those that are, you know, Glenn and Johnny and Balin and his little friend, there's plenty of pairings there. For me, I always stick to little moments that I really enjoy. I know a lot of people, based on how often the GIF is used, think of something like The Long Hot Summer, 
with Paul Newman in a pillowcase. For me, I love a lot of the smaller scenes. Preston Sturges directed a lot of really, really sexy movies where it's little bits of business that I think are really, really great. And I think it's in the Palm Beach story with Joel McRae, where he's zipping the back of Claudette Colbert's dress. And you can tell that he's like kissing her back. The look on her face is one of those moments where you're just like, damn, Joel, really? What's happening over here? I don't find my mom is a big Joel McRae fan. He's not one of my boys. He's one of the sexiest for me. While we're talking about sexy (laughs) stars, Joel McRae is hot. He has that modern hotness to him, I think. Yeah. But I think that that's one that I really, really appreciate because I think that it's the small things that are what get past the censors at that point. And that's what works. That's what you remember. For me, I also point out, I love moments where you're kind of like, you're doing that off screen as well. That's shtick. That's a gimmick that you use to throw out my boy, John Garfield. And he does this in a couple movies too, which is why I'm like, you do this with women off screen, huh? Where he would pull out his cigarette lighter and go to light another woman's cigarette and he would pull it towards him so that you had to go closer to him. And he does it in Postman. He also does it in something else that I saw. Maybe I think it's Out of the Fog as well. And I always say like, that was his game. He did that off screen. And I love it. Damn him. Well, that brings to mind Paul Henry and I was just about to say that. Another moment that's just iconic and you watch it. That moment just makes me melt. Or one that's been going around on social media, Gene Kelly. I have seen in so many days on Twitter, Gene Kelly, it's from The Pirate. He's kissing some girl and he goes in for the kiss and then he swings the cigarette back into his mouth so he can kiss. (laughs) And then the cigarette comes back out. It's like, oh, cigarette play. I never really thought about it until you mentioned that. I thought you were going to talk about Gene Kelly's pants in The Pirate, which, again, are things that I bring up. I figured we were going to get there. (laughs) But But that's a natural transition. If we're talking Gene Kelly, Gene Kelly is one of those two. we're, We're talking about modern versus classic. And I think that some of the sexuality in some of these movies does veer on you kind of looking at your friends being like, were they allowed to do that in the classic film era? That's disturbing. One of the gifts that I always see going around with Gene Kelly, I think it's from Anchors Away. He's talking on the old timey phone and the way his hand, camera's in a close up on his face, but you can see his fingers. And the way he's caressing this phone, you're just like, I don't know if I'm allowed to be watching this right now. Gene. I don't, I don't so want to know, subtle. but now it's like in the head and now I can't get it out. And every time I see that, I just think, dude, good for you. <laughs> I've been on a moment like that, jumping a little back, but I, I've been on a Jimmy Stewart marathon, a Jimmy Stewart kick over the last couple of weeks. And I've been very, seen a lot of Jimmy Stewart in the 50s, which to me, Jimmy Stewart in the 50s is 1950s dad. Cardigans, you know, to me, he's very tame. I've been doing a lot of 1930s Jimmy Stewart, and that is a completely different game there. Destry Rides Again, and what was the other one I saw? Kim and Hedy Lamar come live with me. There are certain things. One of my favorite movies. Oh, so cute. There are moments in there where I'm like, since when did Jimmy Stewart want sex? When did he get sexy? (laughs) I don't think of him as sexual. And there are these moments there where it's like, whoa. (laughs) 
I just want to point out, I have always made this argument and I will say until I'm blue in the face, Jimmy Stewart was the best kisser in classic Hollywood. And before you start arguing with me, all of you listeners, I want you to look up a GIF or a clip of Jimmy Stewart kissing Lana Turner and Ziegfeld Girl or Hedy Lamar and Come Live With Me and really look at their mouths and look at how tight he holds his leading ladies. I would want to kiss him so bad. Like, it had my mind the, blown. One of the IMDb trivia quotes that I always get really mad at, I kind of want to tell them that it's incorrect is they talk about with Postman Always Rings Twice. Oh, it's the first kiss with tongue in classic film history. You can see it. I have watched Postman Always Rings Twice far more than the average person. And trust me, John Garfield is not slipping anybody the tongue in that movie. I've seen it several times. So I always want to complain and have that changed. There is one Astaire and Rogers movie where they kiss with tongue. I believe it's Carefree. And it's actually funny because there's Fred Astaire slips her the tongue. Absolutely. If you look closely in one of the clips, you have to Google the exact scene in the exact film. Like I said, I believe it's carefree. And it's not something I ever thought about because I thought these are some of the most romantic movies ever made. They don't kiss in a lot of them. And one of the few times that they do kiss in the 10 movies There's some tongue action. And the thing that I love about that is that it's the most shocking and like you'd never expect it, but it's so cool to know that. That reminds me of somebody, not to go on a total tangent here, but somebody else who is just so surprisingly sexy when you find out how sexual they were off screen is Grace Kelly. I just want a t-shirt or something that says Fred Astaire slips her the tongue. (laughs) Yes. I have to say, (laughs) before we switch gears, my head went, when you said Esther and Rogers, and then you said Carefree, because that's Ralph Bellamy is the other lead, right? So I'm like, okay, there's no way Fred Astaire slipped anybody the tongue. But then I'm like, Ralph Bellamy giving somebody the tongue? I'm like, would that have happened either? Neither one of those just gel in my brain I don't want to think about Ralph Bellamy giving anybody (laughs) tongue. I will say, though, if we're talking about classic film people we thought could kiss, because I think that's the biggest shock to a lot of people is, again, those tight, really closed mouth kisses that we see in classic film. I always go back to, and I told this story when we did the Holiday Affair episode a long time ago, but Ben Mank has a story about how when they were filming that movie, Janet Lee had blocked a very standard studio kiss with Robert Mitchum. And when they went to film it, he kissed her like a real person, which Ben Mank lovingly referred to as giving her the Bob Mitchum treatment. I don't know if he said they couldn't use the take and they ended up having to film it. I don't think that it's filmed as is in the movie, but I just always think of that scene just anytime you're talking about on-screen makeouts. You know, I know the one people always go to when they talk about kisses is the infamous scene from Notorious, yep, that's what I was which was an attempt to appease the censors because no kiss could be more than, what, five seconds. So Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant proceed to kiss it for five seconds at a time, but it goes for like three minutes, but they're not connected for more than five seconds at a time. And Rear window also. Exactly. And I, I definitely think Hitchcock is one of those that 
film people love to tout as an example of like, oh, he flagrantly flirted with the code and what you could and could not do. But I think as we've seen, a lot of movies were doing that. So I don't know if Hitchcock is necessarily the sole arbiter of that. He's a blatant choice that people watch. I don't think of Notorious first and foremost, but when I think of flagrant sticking it to the censors Hitchcock style, I think of North by Northwest. I mean, you don't, between the train going in the tunnel and that makeout scene, what does he say? I like your flavor or something. And it's like, And all of Ava Marie Saint's quotes are so (laughs) racy. That's one of those movies, sort of like Kristen was saying, where I'm watching it and I'm like, could they say that back then? Could they do that? <laughs> the North by Northwest is a perfect example. North yeah, by Northwest is that, also an yeah. example I, I tout, again, to talk about little bits of business that are just incredibly hot. I do not find James Mason attractive. Nine I times do. out of ten. But I will tell you, watching North by Northwest, that moment where the camera is close up on him rubbing the back of Eva Marie Saint's neck. That possessiveness. That is the it's really, moment yeah. where I'm just kind of like, okay. Okay, James Mason could get it. Like, I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going to say it. I absolutely love that. Are there any actors that I know? Let me give a good example. My mom gets really, really upset when I talk about Dick Van Dyke as hot. Because I had only ever seen Dick Van Dyke young, okay? So I grew up watching Bye Bye Birdie, and I was like, Dick Van Dyke cultivated that persona of, like, straight-laced, hot dude but like you knew that like on the weekends he really let loose at least I thought so but my mom gets really upset she's like that's Dick Van Dyke he does not have sex he is not sexual there is nothing there stop saying that are there actors or actresses that you feel maybe not personally but like are kind of considered by the community to be like asexual or saintly like they can't be sexy they have to be how they are most of the men I'm into, I would say. <laughs> but if there's one who, and I will be judged for saying this, I was watching the Harvey Girls and there was a Ray Bolger dance number. Not who I thought you were going to go for, but okay. Uh, oh, there's, there's, the plenty I, there's plenty I could, but I'm watching this and I'm going, I have never once thought Ray Bolger sexy at all. I'm like, Ray Bolger could get it here. Ray Bolger could complete, look at that stamina. I think I even wrote about it in something where it was, I forget what the music number is. Ray Bolger is not one who in the pantheon of classic film who I've ever gone sexy. And I mean, everybody goes the scarecrow. So that's one I know I've gotten judged for saying, and I'm sure I will get judged here, but I love you all. So I will admit that. A lot of women fall into this category. We see a lot. You mentioned the Harvey girls. I thought you were going to say Angela Lansbury because she's Mrs. Potts. She's, but she's, she's always so sexy at that age. And I think a lot of people forget that these actresses were once young. So, you know, you look at somebody like Angela Lansbury, who spent a lot of her career playing games, right? Women over 40, even when she wasn't over 40, these hard bitten, beautiful women. I mean, in the Harvey girls, she's playing essentially a prostitute but we're not going to call them that because it's the harvey girls and i think that she's so sexy in that movie but she is not often given credit for that i think the biggest example that i always think of is julie andrews julie andrews so much to the point that she made a movie 
lampooning that asexuality when she did SOB, which if you have not seen SOB, I recommend watching it. That's a it joy. Love that. Because movie. it really does criticize the industry for saying that Julie Andrews playing this character was pigeonholed as Mary Poppins, as Maria from The Sound of Music. And the movie itself is really a send up and a critique of that persona. And it's hilarious and biting and great. But I think that with women, there was far, and we, I, we still see it. I think that's the sad thing. You know, I was talking about the Olsen twins earlier today and, and their struggles of transitioning out of being teenagers into women. I think it's something we still see, this concept of sexuality with women in classic film. It's no different than it is today. When you brought up Julie Andrews and Angela Lansbury, the first woman I thought of, and we've had conversations about this before on the podcast, is Doris Day. She's extremely virginal, but if you actually go back and watch her movies, they're very sexy. Oh, the thrill of it all is the movie that I love. I love that movie, which if we're going to throw out a cast that had chemistry, James Garner says in his autobiography Mm -hmm. that if he was not married at the time, he would have tried to marry Doris Day because he was really into her. And the thrill of it all is literally it's baked into the plot, their sexiness, because It's about her getting a job and him feeling emasculated. So what does he decide to do? Well, if he knocks her up, then she'll have to quit work. And so the whole movie is him attempting to seduce her so that she will give up working. And it's one of the hottest movies I've seen because both of them are gorgeous and they have this natural chemistry. And so I think it's a huge fallacy to assume that Doris Day movies are these bits of Noah wafers, you know, that there's no bite to them. There's no flavor. I would say also Debbie Reynolds films tend to get the same slap in the face. Because people think of her as Tammy. Right. I think think Debbie had a harder time of it because she's small. She's definitely was able to play younger for longer. But even in some of her films, you know, you guys talked about Susan Slept Here. As weird as that plot line is, that's about a movie about a girl who is really trying to get her some dick towel. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect phrasing. I want to yeah. throw out talking about movies that Debbie Reynolds made to try to dismantle her innocent image. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. I suggest that you do. Anybody who hasn't, The Rat Race with Tony Curtis. There yes. is a scene. Yes. With her and Don Rickles, that's like, wow, that is not the Debbie I know. <laughs> hey, you kind of lost me at the Don Rickles part of it, but well, it's no, it's it's actually really, really horrible and sad. But um... <laughs> I was I was it's binging Robert character. Mulligan all last year, and that's one of his. And yeah, that's truly a good film, and that was really an amazing. So role for under her. the under the rug compared to Debbie's other films. But I really want to jump back for a second. I thought for a minute we were talking about our faves that we think are sexy that no one else thinks Go for it. And I just want to throw a couple names into the ring. And those names are Boris Karloff and Michael Caine. (laughs) Michael Caine. I will get behind sexy Michael Caine. I own sex scene and get Carter. Like... Okay. It's I'm a sucker for voices. Samantha, insert middle name Ellis, has seen (laughs) Get Carter. Shocking to me right now. Shocking. 
I'm a surprising person. I guess another person to compare to Boris Karloff in this sense is Charlie Chaplin, because if you take away their makeup that they're known for, they were very attractive men, both of them. And Charlie Chaplin was kinky on top of it. So I just have to throw that out there. That brings up a question that (laughs) I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on this, but I'm curious, are there performers, either male or female, that you're watching in classic film that you hate that you're attracted to, whether characters or performers? You know, I always think of like, Stanley Kowalski is a great example, as played by Marlon Brando in Street. Okay. That character is utterly reprehensible and disgusting but Marlon Brando brings the t-shirt back and you're like I am in love with this I don't know why and then you find out that Marlon Brando was like disturbing in his own way I'm curious how you navigate some of those relationships Errol Flynn is a great example like Errol Flynn is just so ridiculously charming in so many of his movies and yet at the same time it is hard for me to divorce some of those moments that I know about Errol Flynn because it's brought up in some of his movies. You know, case in point, I have a love-hate relationship. It's a guilty pleasure movie. The movie he made with Eleanor Parker, I think it's Never Let Me Go, which is the movie he made in the midst of his statutory rape case. And it's this fractured family drama. Him and Eleanor Parker are divorcees and they're sharing a daughter. And the joke as the movie goes on is the little girl who is about seven, has this special relationship with her dad. They go out on dates. She gets love letters from Robin Hood. You know, you're watching this thinking, this came out while he was on trial for crimes against children. I don't know how I feel about it, but he's Errol in a Santa suit. You're like, so I'm curious how you, with what we know now about certain performers, like, and certain characters. I mean, how do you look at sexy when it's taboo? You know who I have a problem with, and people might hate me for saying this, Henry Fonda. I find baby Henry Fonda adorable, like Lady Eve through like the male animal. I, I love young Henry Fonda. I find him adorable, sexy, all of that. But every I love time how I- that's wait, 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 wait. I need to stop for a second. The, between the male or the lady Eve and the male animal. Okay, so, so from 1941 yeah. to 1942. Wait, wait, okay, let's just pick something in 1939. There's things in the third, you know, there's kind of 30s to the 40s. I love baby Henry Fonda, but I can't divorce him from everything I've ever heard with him and Jane. And just him, I see Henry Fonda is such a gigantic contradiction between Mr. Americana to all the stuff going on in his personal life. I hate myself for it's like, oh, I, sh- I love you, but oh, I can't. I hate separate. that my mother told me the comments that he supposedly, again, this is all rumor, but he allegedly made about Barbara Stanwyck that were very crass. And I was just like, Hank, stop. <laughs> there are a few things. Yeah. <laughs> I can also just throw out while we're having this discussion, watching King's Row and being attracted to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a problem for Samantha. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? I don't like it. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want people to think we're just disparaging men. I mean, women, too. I mean, Gloria Graham is a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the male. That's a perfect play. example. Um, Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly. I mean, there were certainly issues there. And there are certainly actresses that I think were definitely taboo in different ways. But I think that it's interesting to kind of 
question, especially characters too. I mean, there are some characters as we've seen with even modern films where you're kind of like, how do I navigate these things with the way things are? I want to go back to Samantha's comment about Boris Karloff because I would not have told you anything about Boris Karloff. He's Frankenstein. Like that's where I'm at. But I watched a movie for the life of me, I can't remember what the name is. It was when he was older, not like old, old, like not decrepit old, but like older, okay? Like in the 50s, okay? And maybe because I'm dreaming of a day where Jeremy Irons plays old Boris Karloff because they look astoundingly similar and it disturbs me. But I was like, okay, old Boris Karloff, like wouldn't have thought about that. But now I'm thinking about it. Young, young Boris Karloff? Old Boris Karloff? No, no, I don't like it. Boris Karloff? Okay, he kind of plays a crazy person, so it's not the best example, but I was going to say, when is he not? (laughs) Well, particularly crazy in Lost Patrol. That one, he's so cute. Oh my god. The Isle of the Dead. (laughs) It's funny, because I was watching Targets today, which, I mean, we're talking old, decrepit Boris Karloff. That is like the last year of his life. R.I.P. Peter Bogdanovich. I was watching that today, and as I was watching Boris Karloff, I'm like, okay, I know you're almost dead there, but the voice, as someone who likes a good voice and a good accent, my head immediately went to, okay, maybe I could, you know, I could see it there, you know, take 30 years off of him. It's, I could see it. There are so many. I mean, Vincent Price, by a lot of people's standards, could be considered not attractive, but we love his voice. Those standards would be wrong. Yes. They would be very wrong. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Although (laughs) I I was having a conversation with my sister the other day and we're talking about like old versus young and like at what point in their lives we're attracted to them. I would take House on Haunted Hill Vincent Price over Laura Vincent Price any day. Nope. I'm Dragon Wick. Dragon Wick, House of Seven Gables, Laura Vincent Price. Yeah, Dragon Wick, Vincent Price is interesting. And I think it's the long coats. I think that helps too (laughs) for me, at least. Love a long No, I mean, I also, I feel like we cannot talk an episode about sexiest actors or actresses without talking about John Gavin. We got to talk about John Gavin. Our big dumb baby. He, okay, yes, John Gavin. I feel is a big dumb baby because it was not necessarily his fault. And I know that the man became ambassador in Mexico. So obviously he was very intelligent, but I feel that he personifies a lot of like what we got. I know that the Bohunk era of the fifties, you know, your Rock Hudson's and your Cab Hunters and your other character actors. My Troy Donahue's. Your Troy Donahue's. That's what I was thinking. I kept wanting to say Fabian. I didn't want to say that. But I mean, all of them kind of work together. But I feel like John Gavin is really in a class of his own because he's just there to be beautiful. But it works so well. You know, we talked about actors that were pigeonholed for being beautiful. But I feel like John Gavin really did work so well in the 1950s into the 60s in those movies that really were about the excess and the luxuriousness of the 1950s. You know, you look at something like Imitation of Life and I mean, you need a candy-coated beautiful cast to match and you have Lana and you have Sandra Dee and you have all these other actors. I mean, John Gavin just fits. I don't know anybody else you would have cast in that film. But I also think of something like Backstreet, which is a film I discovered last year that I love so much because it is filled 
with all of the stupidity of the early 1960s, where John Gavin is this man torn between two women. One of them is the ambitious, confident Susan Hayward, who is significantly old. No, okay, she wasn't significantly older, but she looked older. And Mira Miles, which I maintain that Backstreet is just what happens when Sam Loomis married Lila Crane and their relationship did not work out. Because you cannot marry somebody based off of traumatic circumstances. But the whole movie, you know, is supposed to take place over a couple of years. And they just kind of spray John Gavin on the sides to make him look old. I love that he is an actor that could have only existed in that time period. Only in that time, that brief window of time. Rock Hudson is another person that definitely comes to mind as far as that goes. I hate to get off on another tangent with that. But the way that you spoke about that, men who exist purely to be beautiful and not as much for their brains but are sexy makes me think of men who are known for their brains and not for their sexiness which is a crime and my number one for that he is sexy like it just goes without saying but I don't think he's well known enough for his sexiness is Sidney Poitier yes we talk about Sidney Poitier and not known for his sexiness Like I was saying, we talk about Sidney Poitier and we think of what a trailblazer he was and the content of his films, the things that he was willing to do on screen, the barriers that he was breaking. Not about how much I want to climb him like a tree. (laughs) No, I mean, I think that you watch something like Paris Blues or, or even Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I mean, it's impossible not to think that he is a gorgeous, gorgeous guy. And And I think what I love about Sidney Poitier as a performer in those movies, yeah, it wasn't just groundbreaking that in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, he's making out with a white woman, which was very shocking. But I think the fact that we get to see, I know the movie has its detractors, rightfully so, in many ways, because of how dated some of the dynamics are. But I think the fact that the way he talks about Catherine Houghton's character in that movie, it's a guy who you know, regardless of race, is really just wants to love this girl. And damn it, society is telling them that they can't be together. There's all these obstacles and you just want them to be together. You see what he sees in her without them having to show that relationship because he just sells it so completely. I love it. I think too, you know, if we're talking about actors and actresses of color, you know, who had a far harder time getting to be sexy, you know, because they often had to be paired with the same race actors, you know, you couldn't have miscegenation for a long time. I mean, even someone I always say like Lupe Velez, who often unfortunately had to be the Latina Mexican spitfire who was paired up with white guys who treated her like crap. And then she ended up having to kill herself or something. There's such an inherent tragic beauty in her that makes her so sexy. And I think a lot of her talent, unfortunately, was wasted in in comedy when she was supposed to be making a dramas you know i know samantha anime wong such a absolutely she Um, could have been and uh lena horn i think is one of the best examples because she was very true literally poised to be the first black sex symbol and that could have been so important and so big at the time but it just wasn't in the cards and didn't happen for her and she was so sexy Exactly. Somebody who Kristen woke me up to last year, James Shigeta. 
James Shigita and me are in a relationship. He might be dead and buried, but like we're in it for the long haul, him and I. Uh, I was watching his some of his last year. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> How did I not know this? Christmas was happening, you know, just a couple months ago and die hard, die hard. And I know, I mean, who doesn't love Alan Rickman? Love him. But I always say, why didn't we get James Shigita like doing stuff? And he could have climbed through that elevator shaft. We didn't need stupid Bruce Willis. He could have done it all with the cool suit on. Like, good for him. I mean, you watch something like Flower Drum Song, which Flower Drum Song, by the way, is a smoke show of hot people. Him and Nancy Kwan, utterly gorgeous. Nancy Kwan is so gorgeous. Nancy Kwan is not like on a, she's like a preternaturally fairy tale angel. I think she's gorgeous. But, you know, to go back to what we were talking about with Sidney Poitier, I think that actors of color really had a hard time being allowed to be sexy. You know, James Shigita is a prime example of being able to sell sexiness while being limited, you know, something like the Crimson Kimono, which is the Samuel Fuller movie, not necessarily made within the big studio system, but that's a movie where James Shigita is playing a cop. He's romancing a white woman who another white guy is like, I want that woman. She's like, dude, like there's you. And then there's James freaking Shigita over here. Like, I want that. Who doesn't? Even like Flower Drum Song, which is very standard romantic musical. Dude shows up and you're like, yeah, why is he not in everything? Why is he not Gene Kelly and all over here? That was the thought I had. Yeah. It just makes you sad for what could have been had Hollywood been less racist. And it just sort of ties back into what I was saying too, where you watch a movie like In the Heat of the Night. And that very iconic scene where he slaps the guy, (laughs) that's not inherently sexy. And when people talk about that scene, the word sexy is never used. But for me, (laughs) that's like the sexiest thing ever. Just that commanding presence. I mean, come on, that's that's hot. Absolutely. And that man could pull off a suit also, I just want to say. Makes me want that 60s like advertising executive look back yeah <sighs> that's my, that's i, I want to talk right you know that brings me to you're talking about snazzy dressers and the sexiness of clothing one performer that i always say just made clothes look sexy as all hell is barbara stanwick i always point to that opening scene in christmas in connecticut when we're introduced to her character and she's wearing a white top with black slacks it's a very feminine look but to be a woman wearing pants, just like lounging in your house, Catherine Hepburn, I feel too. Also, like it helps that they're very willowy women, you know, very slight, but damn, they made pants look hot. I tend to go for very feminine women as far as who I'm drawn to and who I idolize. Elizabeth Taylor and Grace Kelly and Zsa, Zsa Gabor for sure. Of course, we haven't brought Samantha's up Marilyn. Samantha's picking women with like a capital yes. W. Those are <laughs> That's those what are I'm good. saying. <laughs> it's, it's that confidence and that femininity that they're not afraid to show. But I do think, you know, the hats go off to the more androgynous and daring women of the time too, like Marlena Dietrich and Katherine Hepburn. For me, the sexiest a woman has ever looked on screen for me is still hands down Rosemary Clooney, Love You Didn't Do Right By Me and White Christmas. I love that look. I love everything about that look, that dress. That's the moment for me. The ultimate like breakup dress, like Diana. 
I want to throw out if we all had to say our one unconventional choice, the one we don't want to admit, but we have to admit it on the air right now. Okay. Who would it be? I'm going to throw out to Kim because I know that she's going to have a weird answer. One that I go to that's unconventional, but I've admitted it openly. Martin Milner is number one for me for yesterday, today, and forever. He's that pick for me. I've always loved him. Samantha, what about you? I did kind of out myself already with Boris Karloff and Mike Lucane. That's about as unconventional as you can get. I want to say, (laughs) I'm going to have to sit and think about that one for a minute as far as anybody else. I've definitely gotten some weird looks for some. I know it's just, it has to come to me other than those two. Mine is fairly obvious. I feel like I, and I want to get it immortalized on a pin. I mean, it's all in the last name. I mean, Rathbone. I mean, come on. Basil Rathbone. He's he's a fox. I mean. He has some hotness to him for sure. Oh, there is way too much. I can't, I mean, I haven't seen any of his Sherlock Holmes movies, which somebody is probably saying as a fan, but I'm fearing that they would be too sexy because they're going to put him in like a deerstalker cap. And I think the other thing too, you know, I'm one of those weirdos that tries to imagine what their life was like off screen, you know, and you hear stories that Basil Rathbone and his wife, Lita, had crazy, insane parties that were like the toast of, it was like San Simeon only on a budget. And I always maintain that, how do we know they weren't having like eyes wide shut parties, like orgy stuff? Like, I don't know. I have no way to prove this, but I don't have a way to disprove it either. Basil Rathbone orgies. That's a sentence I never thought I would hear ever. Exactly. Everybody took home party favors. I just thought of an unconventional one. He's a very, very popular one, but his sexiness is slightly underrated. Humphrey Bogart. Ew. There are people on the fence. Apparently Kristen is one of them. I think he is sexy as all hell. In my younger days, I was Rick over Victor in my younger days, but in my old, in my age and wisdom, I've gone to Victor over Rick. <laughs> Although one of the highlights of my life is asking Monica Henry, how does it feel knowing that people think your dad is hot? <laughs> Samantha asked her the question that I was too afraid to ask Julie Garfield. So there you go. <laughs> your dad's a fox. What do you think about that? What do you think about these stories about your dad? So, of course, no episode about sexiness would be complete without a couple games of Mary Shag Kill, which Kim urged us to do on this episode. So I feel like we need to close that out. With- well, let's just start right at the top. The noir boys. And one of them just came up. So I suppose it makes sense to jump this way. Robert Mitchum, Humphrey Bogart, Dick Powell. Or that's the Philip Marlowe, Mary Shag Kill. Okay, well, I'm going to kill Dick Powell because I, he knows what he did. So I don't, <laughs> I don't like him. I've never liked him. Not going to like him. So that means I got to shag Humphrey Bogart, which just ugh, skeezes me out. I'm sorry. But what's my other option? Mitchum? Mitchum. Okay, yeah. I guess I would marry Humphrey Bogart and like Lauren Bacallit for a couple of years, I guess. And then you shag Robert Mitchum because the Bob Mitchum treatment. Come on. If I could make the decision to both shag and marry Humphrey Bogart and kill the other two, I would. <laughs> that is not how the game is played, Samantha. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, I'm very curious to know what the Bob Mitchum treatment is. Like, I want to know firsthand. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> 
That being said, I don't really care for him. And I just watched Dick Powell in the Hollywood Hotel and really liked him. So I'm probably going to have to say Shag Dick Powell, Mary Humphrey Bogart, because I want that to continue. I want that ongoing. And then Dylan Bobbitt. <laughs> I think we're going to have three separate answers here because I would be marrying Dick Powell, shagging Robert Mitchum and killing Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Dick Powell. <laughs> I, I've always loved him. So You're going to Debbie Reynolds him. I don't know if you did one, but I want to do noir women. Let's do it. Yeah. Barbara Stanwyck, Lana Turner, and Rita Hayworth. Mary Rita Hayworth, shag Lana Turner, and kill Stanwyck. I just, that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> I am actually 100% in agreement with that. Oh, see, no, I would, unfortunately, Lana would, she'd sleep with the fishes. That because I would definitely one. marry Barbara Stanwyck, who I'd probably be scared of for most of my life. And shag Rita. So, I mean, I know I'd be part of the problem with Rita. The reason why I want to marry Rita is because I've heard so many adorable things from her off screen, how like shy and cute she was. I feel like she would make an adorable wife. And I would want to. That's kind of where I went. Exactly. See, there we go. Great minds. Kim, you got another one? Oh, I got plenty. I got the Method Men James Dean, Marlon Brando, and Montgomery Clift. Oh, that's easy for me. (laughs) It's easy for me, too. I'd kill James Dean. I do not get him. I don't know. He's a little too whiny and effeminate for me. I don't know. He's a soft boy. He's not my thing. And then what were my other two options? Monty Clift and Brando Brand- and Clift. Okay. Either way, I lose uh, because of Monty Clift on a personal level and Marlon Brando on a personal level. So I guess I'd marry Monty because like we could have a really great lavender marriage. And then I definitely shag Marlon Brando, but I'd feel really, really horrible about myself. And I'd probably be in therapy for the next like 10 years. I want to know what shagging Brando would be like, if I'm being honest, but I have to kill him because I hate him so much. (laughs) That being said, I would definitely shag James Dean and marry Monty Clift. I think I'm in complete agreement with Samantha there. I'd love to experience shagging Brando, but oh, it's just he's one of those other ones that so much I've heard about his personal life lately. It's like, oh, I don't want to find you attractive, but Stella. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I want to throw out one geared to Kim's boys. Just this is just for Kim. This is just for Kim. I Uh just I want to I want to make okay. Let's go Marty Milner. Let's go Jack Lemon. And Kim, give me one more. What should I really pick? Because I love them all. You're making me pick. Yeah, I feel like that's not fair. I'm we have to, to give her of... a Sophie's Choice. I can't remember these people's names. They all look the same, Kim. <laughs> Differentiate. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a 50s TV guy. Maybe like Anthony right? Q. Lewis. Robert Q. Lewis. Sorry. <laughs> This is exactly what Kristen was talking about. He has been my wallpaper lately. So, okay. Martin Milner, Jack Lemon, and Robert Q. Lewis. Oh my God. That is so hard. Is it so? <laughs> oh my God. Well, the, the whole Jack Lemon thing in there really complicates it because I know how I would answer it. Kim, you got to give us an answer. Time is ticking. Mary Martin Milner, Shag Robert Q. Lewis, and Jack Lemon. Sorry, I love him, but he's that's wow. the hardest answer I've ever had to give. 
I don't know how I, I have no no great send off for that because it's just a Kim thing. I'm amazed Samantha pulled Robert Q. Lewis out of her head. I was thinking, I was like, there's got to be a 50s game show guy <laughs> that I can pull out of my sleeve. Him, Steve Allen, if they were on those shows, I have horn rim glasses that, yeah, that's. I have one for Samantha. I was going to say we need to make one for Kristen, too. I mean, yeah. that yeah. Okay. I want to have one for Samantha. I'm ready. Tyrone, Lana Turner, Grace Kelly. Oh, okay. The first thing that comes to mind is I don't want to kill any of them. <laughs> that is not how That's the how game I is felt. played. You know what? This is actually easier than I would have thought. And I'll tell you why. I would kill Lana, which hurts my heart, but unfortunately it has to be so. I would marry Tyrone. I really want to know what Shag and Grace Kelly would be like. <laughs> I have to know. It's another one of those things. She's like the stuff of legend that she's some like floozy apparently off screen and then on screen she's like so virginal i'd have to know well before we come up with one for Kristen, that brings me into one that i have the hitchcock blondes grace kelly tippy hedron kim novak i thought you'd throw eva in there all right that threw me for a loop so kim grace and tippy Tippy. okay i feel like i lose regardless considering everybody's personal life i'd marry kim I feel like Kim Novak and I would get along. She likes to paint. So she seems pretty quiet. It might be nice. Tippy lives with wild animals. She made Roar, which was about live tigers. I would not do well living with live tigers. So I would probably have to, unfortunately, kill her. I feel very bad. I'm sorry. And yeah, Shag Grace Kelly. But I wouldn't be happy about it. I would definitely marry Grace Kelly shag tippy hedron because she sounds fascinating and hey those tigers never know (laughs) never know what she could pull up her sleeve and then i would kill kim novak i like her a lot but compared to the others i think she's a little bland i think i'm right in line with Kristen. i would marry kim novak because she just seems really interesting and i've grown to like her a lot lately and i just shagging grace kelly just that seems like the stuff of legend. So I'd be I've, curious to that. I have one more for Samantha because I just need to know. Let's okay. hear it. Tyrone, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> Peter Lawford. Go. That's easy. Ooh. That's so easy. Okay. So I just have to point out when I say Mary, this is like also implying that I'm shagging them for the rest of my life. I don't, I don't think anybody doubted that. So Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure. I want to kill Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I want to be personally responsible. Mary Trone and Shag Peter Lawford, for sure. That is zero doubt in my mind. Ronald Reagan is attractive. It was like a, whoa, he's attractive, but not like one of my all-time faves by any means. Whereas Peter Lawford and Ty, of course they are. All right, we need one for Kristen. There's two easy ones. Samantha, I'll need your help on the third. Peter Lawford, John Garfield, and I need one other person. Basil. Basil, there we go. Okay, Peter Lawford, John Garfield, Basil Rathbone. Oh, this is tough. I've made so many assumptions about these men and they're dead. Yeah, this is actually, unfortunately, very, very easy. Mostly because I've talked over these situations with my mom. So as much as I love sweet, sweet, darling Peter Lawford, I unfortunately know what he looked like in the 1970s and also like that's a very fair point just in general yeah so I would have to kill him it would pain me it would hurt a lot but I would have to do it 
you marry Basil Rathbone because come on, I want the eyes wide shut party in my house. And then I'd probably shag John Garfield because he's John Garfield. Although considering his demise, I don't really know if that would be a good idea. It might end up killing him as well. PG podcast, but we know. PG podcast, but if you Google John Garfield's obituary, you'll learn some things. So just I just thought of another good one for Kristen. Stay with me. Ronald Reagan, Van Johnson. (laughs) Just the squirming, the squirming. I'm here for it. Oh man, who was my third one? I'm thinking of three that she doesn't want to choose between. Oh, I had it. Francho, Cornell Wilde. <laughs> Let's go with Francho. Let's go with Francho, who I love, by the way. Uh, and I can't even Franchot. say the, the phrase that I usually, if you've ever seen me at TCM and you bring up Francho tone, I can't say what I usually say because leap in Francho. But uh, it's something that I would love to get emblazoned on a shirt. Francho, Van Johnson, Ronald Reagan. Jesus. Okay. <sighs> okay. I'd kill Francho. I just would. I don't feel wow. he brings anything to the relationship at all. So I'd be friends with Joan. Like I'd side with her on that divorce. So yeah, no, there's nothing. There's nothing there. Van Johnson, we'd we'd have a fun lavender marriage, I guess. Like we could tap dance or whatever. I just don't want to look at his freckly face. And then I'd probably shag Ronald Reagan, then tell him I'm a Democrat. <laughs> During. <laughs> exactly. So they, we can't get any better than that. <laughs> okay, I have one right up, probably Kristen's alley as well. Paul Newman, Tony Franciosa, and Sidney Poitier. Oh, God, that just makes me look horrible, depending on who I choose. This is easy for me, so I'll go first. <laughs> Mary Sidney Poitier, shag Paul Newman, kill Tony Francioso, because I really still don't know who he is. <laughs> Ooh, go watch Period of Adjustment. I'm Have sorry. Fun with Tony Francioso talking to Jane Fonda in a dad sweater. It's great. So, okay. I feel really bad. Sidney would not last. I love him. I know, but you put Tony Franciosa and Paul Newman in my way. Like <laughs> that's fair. Can't that's turn fair. that down. Okay. I feel really bad. I'm sorry. Sydney, who I know is obviously listening to this podcast. One um, day he will. <laughs> one day he will. Jesus. The answers that I could give on a show that is not PG. I have a lot of reasoning that is inappropriate. Okay. So Paul Newman at least stayed married to Joanne Woodward till he died. Okay, so there is that. So I would marry him because obviously that relationship worked out. And then I would definitely shag Tony Franciosa, but knowing that it would never work. and He's a chronic philanderer and I'd probably be like Shelly Winters chasing him down and beating crap out of him. <laughs> Tony knows what I, he did and who I, he did. I'd have to agree with Samantha. I'd have to marry Sydney, shag Paul Newman, and yeah, poor Tony would be. Poor Tony. Y'all are missing out on some good <laughs> Franciosa content. Okay. Well, I think that is a good place to end. Please head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. We are going to do several more of these, a bit more uncensored. They are a lot of fun. And as always, you can send us your suggestions after you listen. Hopefully, you are not horrifically offended. So you can email that to us at ticklishbiz at gmail.com, or you can also tweet them to us 
at ticklish underscore biz and we might include them on another installment of ticklish biz after dark as always you can check out our website where kim does some great reviews and articles all sorts of stuff show notes are there at ticklishbiz.com and again if you like our stuff please consider supporting us via patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz where we have all sorts of bonus content bonus podcasts, interviews, all sorts of fun stuff that will be there. We're also on Instagram, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify. If you're on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and or review. Those really, really, really do help. We will be back next time with an all new episode. Till then.